Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I have everything I need because God is the good shepherd and he is good to me. He will take care of me. Yeah, you might be running, going through that valley of the shadow of death, but he is still your good shepherd and he is still providing for you and taking care of you. Jonah's missing it. He's totally missing it. And through this little temper tantrum, God's like, Jonah, buddy, do you have the right to be mad? Do you really think you have the right to be mad? Because you don't. The Lord provides everything you need, even if you're walking through the shadow of death. In today's message with Pastor James, you'll see how Jonah threw a temper tantrum because things didn't go his way. None of us have the right to be angry with the Lord. His will is sovereign. Will you choose to throw a fit or give thanks for what you've been blessed with? Throwing a fit isn't going to get Jonah anything except, well, maybe a sunburn. Will you be burned when you don't give thanks to the Lord for everything that he's provided? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Jonah chapter 4 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. chapter 4. This is where we're at. I don't know about you guys, but I am so eager to be done with the book of Jonah. That may sound bad to you. But when I go through these books, I think the Lord's like, all right, I'm going to work out of you all the nonsense that's in your life. I came to approach Jonah. I love the book of Jonah. I, I love it more so when I don't have to preach the book of Jonah, because when I have to preach something, oftentimes the Lord makes me live that thing throughout like this whole month. And so I'm just like tapping out. I'm like, Lord, I quit. All right, I'm done. I'm, I don't, I'm too much like Jonah. That's what I've discovered. And I don't like it. Um, just like they showed in that video, the mirror that it is, I'm, at first I'm thinking of like, yeah, Jonah, no. and then I'm beginning to see myself clearer and clearer from this book. And this chapter especially, the Lord has just been pounding me, it feels like, this week. And I'm like, can we just get to Acts? Because uh, I just want to get to Acts. Just, Lord, can we? But no. We got Jonah chapter 4. So turn with me there if you don't mind. This is a good one. It's short and sweet, just like all these chapters have been, and it's right to the point. But there's some things we want to we clarify as we go through this, to find some terms and everything, and, and really just to kind of paint this picture. The question at the end of it, which there's only two books out of the Old Testament, uh, well, actually, I believe out of the entire Bible that end with questions, and Jonah's one of those, and I think it's Nahum is the other one who was a letter written to the to the Ninevites about their destruction, which would happen after this story um, about 100 years later. But that question really is, it's the key. It's the key to this entire book. And it's not a question, we don't need an answer from Jonah. You have to answer this question yourself. So the takeaway from today will be the last verse of this chapter, and it will be up to you to, def- you to answer between you and the Lord. Are you good with his goodness when it applies to other people? Of course, we're good with his goodness when it applies to us. Absolutely. I love it when God's good to me. And he's always good to us. But I love it when he's raining down blessings and all that stuff. I love that. But what about when he's doing it to your enemies? Are you good then with it? Ultimately, that's the personal application that we'll have to, we all have to answer that question. So, but let's get there. 
Video did it for me already, context and everything. Jonah's already preached this five-word message in Nineveh, and everybody's repenting. And all these pagans, all these wicked people, absolutely wicked people, are, are falling on their face. I mean, sackcloth and ashes, repentance is happening. And there's Jonah sulking, just so mad. Verse 1, chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What displeased him exceedingly? Chapter 3 displeased him exceedingly. Now, you got to note the tense there. And really, the Bible is trying to communicate to you what was happening in Jonah's heart. He was absolutely livid at what happened in chapter 3. He delivered the message. And it, it is fascinating that within that message, there is no reference to God. There is no reference to repentance. There is no, there's no reference to their wickedness. There's none of that. 40 days, you're going to be wiped out. That's it. And everybody is turning to God. And it's that compassion that God had showed to the Ninevites. This is what sends Jonah over the edge. He already didn't want to go there. He already didn't want to go there. And he's going to clarify that for us in this chapter. But he is steaming hot just because God loves people that, are his, that he hates. Let's just say it that way. God loves people that Jonah hates, and he can't handle it. He can't deal with it. He is exceeding it. He's displeased exceedingly, and he became angry. So what you need to understand about that term, angry, means hot. Jonah became hot, so mad. You've seen that in people, right? Maybe you've been there where you get mad, and you turn red, and the blood pressure is, woo, it's through the roof, and you can see the steam coming off. You you. You were a teenager once. You experienced this from whoever was the supervising authority in your life, your parents, right? I'm sure, maybe you were a better teenager than I was, but I'm sure you could feel the heat coming off of whoever it may have been that was in charge of you, right? This is Jonah. He is becoming hot with anger. So he prays. And we're like, okay, that's good. He, like the video said, he only prayed twice in this whole story. He prayed when he's inside that fish, and now he's going to pray. But he's not praying, he's not praying any prayers that we think he should pray. But he is being honest, verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, and that's on the coast of Spain. That's 2,000 miles in the other direction. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. How in the world do you have a problem with this? Here's Jonah. He's listing all the, all the ways that he, all the issues that he has with God in this story. So God, um, I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. You want to know why I'm mad at you? Because you're good, because you're loving, because you're patient, because you're kind. And because you love your enemies, and I'm mad at you. And that's fine. Let me, let me clarify this for you, because you may have had moments within your life where you're like kind of yelling at God, right? Like maybe something's not going right in your life, and you're angry about it, and you're upset with God about it. And maybe you have one of those interactions where you, that's understandable. The way this prayer should have ended was Jonah saying, but you know what, God? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But he doesn't end that way. If you have one of those, and let me tell you, if, if you've ever had one of those moments, I'm with you. 
Because I have had those moments in my life where I'm just like, God, I'm mad. And I'm mad at you. I'm just being honest. But if I leave it at that, then that's wrong. That's wrong on my end. It's okay to be upset. It is okay to be upset. But in a relationship with God Almighty, who is sovereign and in control, those prayers of anger and upset and all that stuff always should end with, but Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There has to be repentance there, okay? Just, I just want to clarify that because I know sometimes there's this, there's this notion that goes around like, yeah, you can be mad at God and you can yell at God. And I'm here to say, I get it when that happens within your heart, but he is still God and he is holy and you ought to respect him. And if you're angry at him because something's not going right in your life, I understand. But part of that prayer, or maybe breathe in 10 times or do whatever you got to do, but you got to go back to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being mad at you. I'm sorry. For... That's a right relationship. It's not fair. You don't treat anybody else that way. I hope you don't. You get mad at somebody and yell at them and tell them how mad you are at them, somebody that you really care about, and then just walk away. There's got to be restoration because that's relationship. And whether you're right, it doesn't matter. You go back and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. That's what a relationship is. But I just want to make sure that we're watching and we're kind of on guard too. Just that, that notion of like, listen, there's been times, and I, I tell you, there have been times in my life where I am, I am yelling at God, but it's not okay if I leave it at that. I got to go back and say, you know what, Lord? Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just frustrated. I'm at the end. I don't know what else to do. I don't know, I don't know why. I need to know why, but ultimately, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for yelling at you. I'm sorry for being angry because ultimately that means that I just don't trust you. And I'm sorry for not trusting you. Jonah's, man, his, his world is falling apart and he's mad, but he has no good reason to be upset. And God's going to clearly, you know, just display that for us. But he's just yelling at God and he's like, man, God, um, you're too nice. You're too kind. You're too loving. You're too compassionate. You're too patient. All those attributes are only supposed to be directed toward us, your children, the nation of Israel. And he's a prophet who knows the Bible, at least the Bible that, ha that he has as far as, you know, and, I mean, my goodness, they have most of the Psalms at this point in time, right? So he's not ignorant of what God has already said. He even quotes from Exodus what has already been said about God. He knows a lot about God, but what we see through this chapter is that I'm not saying the man's not saved, but I am saying this. He knows a lot about God, but he doesn't really know God on an intimate level. You can know a lot about Jesus without ever actually knowing Jesus. That is a danger that's out there. You can know a lot about him, but, know, but have no relationship. I mean, Jesus even said that so much as in the Gospels where he says like, yeah, there's going to be a day where people stand before me and they say, Lord, Lord. And he's like, I'm sorry. Have we met? Have we met? Well, no, I, I know a lot about you. Well, no, but you don't know me. You don't know me. You can know him, but it's far better to be known by him, okay, to have that relationship that's there. Here's Jonah. I mean, he's throwing all these theological, these correct theological terms, all accurate when describing who God is. He's throwing out all the theological stuff, but yet he misses the whole point that from the very beginning with Abraham, 
God's intent was for the whole world. He would use Israel. He would use them. But his mission included the entire world. It was never just about Israel. It was never just about them. They would be a vessel as a blessing for the entire world. But as we see with Jonah, even within this prayer, he's like, man, I was back in my nation, and you caused me to come to this nation with these people that I absolutely despise. So he's mad. He's angry. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Take my life from me. Please kill me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Are you serious? It's that bad? Jonah, I think you're being a little overdramatic, okay? I think you needed maybe a little time out. It sounds like you need a spanking is what it is. I mean, like, my goodness, dude. Grow up, man. Like, what are you? And you need to understand that he's probably verbally communicating these things as he's walking through Nineveh on his way out of the city. As people all around him are on their faces repenting to God because he is so good, because he is so compassionate, and because he is long-suffering. So as people are more than likely a whole town of around 600,000 people in one day, more or less, are falling on their faces in repentance, crying out to God, here's the man of God walking through that, yelling at God. And saying, you know what, Lord, it'd be better if I was dead. It'd be better if I was dead. Pastors these days would kill for like 600,000 people. We're all repenting? Are you kidding me? That sermon, it wasn't even a good one. But my goodness, the Lord used it. And it was incredible. Everybody's repenting. And Jonah's like, just not happy. He's not satisfied. Because ultimately what he wanted to see happen was their destruction. And that wasn't going to happen. So as he's walking out of Nineveh, the conclusion he comes to, the logical conclusion that he comes to is, God, just kill me. Just kill me. Can't get any worse than this. (laughs) Just kill me. Now, he understands he's going back home, or he will be going back home to the nation of Israel, more specifically to the northern, the 10 northern tribes there, where he had just recently prophesied to the king of like, listen, man, you got it good. God's blessing you. He's expanding your reign and all that good stuff. So he was the popular prophet of the day, at least as far as the king was concerned. And now he's got to go back and everybody's going to be like, hey, what happened to Nineveh? So now he becomes an enemy to his own nation because he went to the enemy and proclaimed this message that resulted in their repentance and their ultimately like their salvation. Now he's got to go back to his homeland and say, God spared him. And at this point in time, especially within that region, one thing they couldn't grasp was God being good to their enemies. It wasn't, Jonah's just a representation of an entire nation. They wouldn't be able to grasp that, and they would, they would probably be displeased with Jonah and all that good stuff. Maybe that's factoring through his brain. I don't know, but he's on his way out, and he's crying out to God. He's, he's yelling at God, just kill me, just kill me. And the Lord responds, the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? What a question. Oh, man, what a question. Don't you love it when the Lord shows up in your life and asks you that same question? If he hasn't, go back through the book of Jonah, um, study through it, because I think the Lord's been asking me this question, maybe not always about anger, 
but maybe it's about like discontentment. Dude, is it right? Are you justified in your complaint? Are you justified in your complaint? Really, that's what Jonah's doing. He is complaining about God to God. And God's like, Jonah, do you have the right to complain? I love this about God. Um, we see this in the book of Job. You see it even referenced in, in Isaiah, even in Jeremiah as well. God is such a personal God where he's like, come, let us reason together. Let's hang out. Let's talk. You got questions? I got answers. The problem is, is when God has questions and he's wanting an answer from you. We saw that in the book of Job, right? If you've ever read through that, Job's asking all these questions and then God's like, all right, Job, I got some questions for you. I got some questions for you, right? Jonah's like, oh, this, this, this. God's like, Jonah, are you justified in your complaining? Are you justified? Do you have the right to complain about this situation? I'm just asking. And that's one of those questions that kind of probes the heart. We, we saw that fleshed out with Jesus when, all throughout the Gospels. People would come to him asking him questions, and he'd respond back with a question. And they were always nailed by Jesus with these questions of like, oh. Charles Spurgeon said this, if, dear friends like Jonah, you want to complain, you will soon have something to complain of. People who are resolved to fret generally make for themselves causes for fretfulness. So the, the warning there is, stop complaining. Stop complaining. Stop. If you're looking for something to complain about, you're going to find it. You're going to find it. The nation of Israel, the children of Israel, marching, delivered from Egypt, wandering through the wilderness longer because it was their fault, were always complaining. Always complaining. They were looking for, and they've always found a reason to complain against God. The, the danger there for us is, listen, if you're looking for a reason, you're going to find something. The best attitude is gratitude. Just be thankful. You don't understand. I don't. You don't know. I don't. I don't know your situation. I don't know your circumstances. You don't know mine. I get it. I don't always understand what God's doing in my life, but the best way to approach life in and, and God's sovereignty is just to be grateful. Just to be grateful. You can't tell me you don't have anything to be thankful for. Every single one of us has something to be thankful for, and we need to shift our focus and our attitudes towards gratitude. Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. I may not have all the things that I want, but the daily Bible verse that was sent to me this morning was from Psalm 23 that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or the other way to translate that is, I have everything I need because God is a good shepherd and he is good to me. He will take care of me. Yeah, you might be running, going through that valley of the shadow of death, but he is still your good shepherd and he is still providing for you and taking care of you. Jonah's missing it. He's totally missing it. And through this little temper tantrum, God's like, Jonah, buddy, do you have the right to be mad? Do you really think you have the right to be mad? Because you don't. You don't. There's no response from Jonah, at least not on this one. Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made for himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So he's still holding on to hopes that maybe their repentance isn't genuine. Maybe their act of repentance isn't enough and God is going to destroy them. And I will wait 37 days to watch these guys get burned down. He was resolved 
to wait there on the east side overlooking the city until this thing gets burned down. Now, I will tell you this. If you are looking at a uh, building project, do not hire Jonah because he is a horrible carpenter, okay? If you don't see that in the text, you will in a second. He builds this little, I don't even know what it is, but it's probably pathetic because it doesn't even do its job, right? So here's this angry guy, angry prophet of God, who's like, I'm going to set up camp right here. It's hot, and the sun's beating down on me, so I'm going to build myself a little structure. And it's like, Jonah, don't quit your day job. Well, he already did, chapter one. He quit being a prophet then, okay? That's when he turned in his resignation letter, when he ran away from God. But he builds this little shanty or whatever this little covering is so that he can, simply so that he could sit and watch with fingers crossed that God is going to wipe these people out. That's his hatred towards the Ninevites. That's his hatred towards these people. He is so mad, so angry that he would even, I mean, the guy already paid money to go to Tarshish. And now he's even willing to invest time and energy in constructing a little booth just so that he can sit and watch that hopefully, just maybe, God will change his mind and kill these people. That is, that's incredible to me. Somebody so stubborn, so absolutely stubborn and bent on his ways where it's like, Jonah, get back in the city and tell them about God. Get, get back in there. What they need now more than anything is somebody to clarify to them who this God is. Nope, I'm going to sit out here where it's safe because I know destruction's probably going to come, so I'm going to get out where it's safe and I'm going to get front row seats to this destruction. Why? Because they deserve it. God is wrong. They deserve to be destroyed. Ultimately is what he's saying. God got it wrong. These people deserve to be killed. And I'm sure God, at some point in time, will realize that he messed up and he will fix this problem. That's how prideful he is. That's how arrogant this guy is. That's how stubborn this guy is. And when I read this story, the mirror becomes clearer and clearer. Of the, oftentimes, that's how I am. That's how I am. Now, I don't hate people groups. I don't hate people in that sense. Praise God for Jesus and transformation and all that stuff. I used to not like that many people, okay? I'm not a big people person. But when Jesus saved me, he did this radical thing inside my heart 20 years ago where I started loving people. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. And I couldn't even explain it. People who maybe one point in time I would have considered enemies, now I can overlap with them or have a dialogue or a conversation with these people, and genuinely inside of me is love and compassion for these people. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus. But I'm reminded, not so much of, like in this story, of Jonah hating these guys, I'm reminded of my own selfishness from this story book of Jonah, I'm like, can we just be done with all this stuff? Because I'm tired of being convicted, all right? I'm done with all that. Like, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm repenting. Just keep digging out whatever the junk is inside of me. But my goodness, I can't take any more. But the whole video like yesterday was all on comfort, the giant of comfort, which you could also say complacency, which is a major problem in Christianity, at least Western Christianity today. Because complacency or comfort is completely keeping people ineffective in the church.
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James as we journey through the book of Jonah. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more from Pastor James, you can visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Teachings tab. There you'll find a variety of verse-by-verse Bible-based teachings. Maybe you're like Jonah and you're wrestling with the call that God has on your life. Or maybe you've been running from God and you're ready to come home. We'd love to walk alongside you and encourage you in your faith. As believers in Jesus, we're called to gather together and pray, encourage, and help one another through life. This is what we believe at Bread for the Broken and Calvary Galveston, the church behind this ministry. If you're looking for a new church home or simply someone to connect and pray with, we'd love to be that person or people for you. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you come visit. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, please visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd love to connect with you too, so please drop us a note and let us know how you heard about Bread for the Broken and how we can be praying for you. Just visit our church website at breadforthebroken.com and click on the contact tab to fill out our form. Thanks for listening to today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of